Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of our favorite spacefaring franchise on the road that ends pretty much now to season two of its latest entry, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by two additional members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, Rachel Clow. Hello. And the triumphant return of Cicero Holmes. Yes. Hey, guys. Uh, sorry I missed you guys last time. I was stuck in the mud. <laughs> I think I think we can forgive you for, uh, for, for that, especially with such an awesome pun there. Uh, but... Yeah, so last time we got together, uh, which was probably pretty recently, considering when you guys are downloading this, we talked about the third episode of the Short Treks subseries that um, that focused on Saru, right. uh, which was called The Brightest Star. And Cicero, since you weren't with us for that, just give us your brief thoughts about uh, about this deeper look into the origins of one of your favorite guys on the show. Well, you know what? This episode, I mean, it spoke to me because this has been what I've been asking for these short treks to be yeah. since we started talking about them. Uh, let me get some some background into, and we got a little bit of that in the very first one um, with, with Tilly, but mm -hmm. we really got uh, a, a sense of who Saru was, um, who the Kelpians were. Uh, the fact that they, the Kelpians are kelp farmers was a little, a little on the nose for me, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but I mean, I, I, you know, but that's what, that's what we were here for. We were here for getting these little bits of, of information about these characters that we knew at least a little, um, but, you know, but further uh, bringing more color into into the background and and bringing more depth to these characters uh so that when you go into season two even if you know if if you're sitting next to someone who didn't watch the short treks they can watch these and and they can watch the episodes and, and everything is fine with the episodes but for you for those people who have watched the short treks especially when you're looking at saru you can say oh this is, you know, I've gleaned a little bit more insight as a result of me watching these uh, 15 minute uh, shorts. Yeah. So that was that was cool. The other thing that, I, that I'll mention about that episode that was interesting, besides Michelle Yeoh uh, reprising her role as well, actually, as Lieutenant Jojo uh, mm -hmm. in, in that one. But uh, but uh, what was really interesting was watching the difference in the. um intricacies of the makeup between Saru and the rest of the Kelpians. Um, yeah. if, so like, yeah, everyone kind of looked a little bit different and you could tell, you know, obviously they were from the same species and you can, you can, uh, your narrative, uh, the narrative explanation for it, of course, is they're different people and, you know, and that's how you tell the differences in that species. But, you know, obviously, the answer was, well, you know, we're going to be using these masks once or twice as opposed to Saru's uh, that we'll be using for the entirety of, of a season. So that was it was really interesting to see the differences in, in how intricate and how nuanced his makeup job was versus everyone else. Yeah, that's a good point. And one of the things that uh, 
Rachel and I talked about when, when we were discussing that short specifically was just, it, it paints an entirely different perspective on Saru because you realize, like you saw that he was kind of ruled by fear, at least in the early going of season one. Right. And then he became braver and a more capable commander, but really the norm for him might be just bravery. And right. Uh, right. I mean, that really sets up the idea that he, he embraced that hope because the power of it was strong. I mean, he said as much, the power of it was stronger than fear. And, uh, and he left when there was certainly no easy way to, to leave everything that he knew behind. Right. So yeah, really good episode. Well, um, so what, have, what, what have you been up to, man? Since, uh, since the last time we got together, it's been a little while. Uh, what's your, while. what's your life and Trek been like, if, if anything, it it has been non-existent. Um, you know, the treks have been to Holiday World, um, <laughs> as, as we as we explored uh, the end of the year and and all of the great family family like festivities that uh, come come with it. Uh, and uh, the other thing has been uh, living on the frozen prison world that. Uh, uh, captain kirk and and spock wound up on and uh which which one was that that was they go oh, in uh, 2009 uh, uh or oh, oh oh no you're talking about rurapente yeah rurapente yes yes, yeah. yes chicago yes. is looking a lot like rurapente yes that uh, is correct. That bad? it's, it's not be. that bad it is when? it's not that bad yet but it it, it is oh. it is fast approaching <laughs> yeah, it, it it's coming soon. Yeah, we we got I think we got wall to wall snow over the next what's supposed to be Friday and Saturday, Something and then like it'll that. get into uh, low digits on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's gonna be. Oh man! Yeah, it's gonna be nuts. <laughs> nuts and cold. Yeah, yes. with with a side of cold nuts right. for some of us. Um, yeah, well, the only thing that I have to add from last time that I've been up to, I finished Away to the Stars, the Tilly-centric oh. novel. Oh, nice. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to the day that we all get to uh, to talk about it. Uh, we also have to talk about the Saru book. I mean, that's yes. something that has been kind of put on the back burner, and that's my fault because okay. you guys finished it ages ago, and uh, and I finished it much later than you did. But yeah, so we got two books to talk about. And now the first little bit of news. Well, why don't we, let's let's dive into some news. All right. So a new Star Trek novel has been announced, a Discovery novel specifically, and it is called The Enterprise War. And the title is very apt because it's going to be all about what the Enterprise was up to during the Klingon War that was depicted in season one of discovery. So clearly that means that, uh, the captain Pike is going to be a main character that Spock is going to be a main character. They hint at the idea of seeing more of, uh, of number one. I mean, she's got a very prominent place, uh, aboard the enterprise in, in this era of the star Trek universe. So, uh, it's going to be written by John Jackson Miller, who's written both star Trek and star Wars novels in the past. And uh, it's going to be coming out this summer. Rachel, nice. what do you think about that? Are you interested in seeing what the Enterprise was up to uh, during that war that you hate? I sure am. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get some explanation for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting, I think, that, um, you know, we're 
maybe this is going to be the first novel that is going to be informed by some of the stuff that we're seeing uh, or that we will see for Pike in season two. But um, either way, I mean, getting a, getting a greater degree of connection between Pike's enterprise and what we see on discovery is always going to be good. Cicero, how does that sound to you? Oh, I mean, it sounds great. It's, it's, uh, I think it's, well, maybe it's not unfortunate, but, uh, um, it's going to be interesting when, when it finally releases to think back on season two and everything that we've seen with the enterprise and Pike and, and, and their, uh, connection to discovery and all the, the, uh, crazy shenanigans that, uh, they wind up getting going through on uh, during season two and to to uh tie that all together with what what transpired during the war mm-hmm. um will be will be a, an interesting thing to kind of figure out so yeah absolutely yeah. so the they did release a synopsis for the book and it reads as follows hearing of the outbreak of hostilities between the united federation of planets and the klingon empire Captain Christopher Pike attempts to bring the USS Enterprise home to join in the fight. But in the hellish nebula known as the Pergamum, Pergamum? Yeah, I think so. The stalwart commander instead finds an epic battle of his own, pitting ancient enemies against one another with not just the Enterprise, but her crew as the spoils of war. Lost and out of contact with Earth for an entire year, Pike and his trusted first officer number one struggle to find and reunite the ship's crew, all while science officer Spock confronts a mystery that puts even his exceptional skills to the test with more than their own survival possibly riding on the outcome. Well, okay. Well, I guess that means uh, this, that's actually the first time I've read that synopsis. So maybe that means we're not going to see Enterprise versus Klingons. But also, too, I mean, maybe that's a good thing because a lot of the Federation fleet was quite damaged by the time the war ended. So sure. this might explain why the Enterprise looked like it was generally okay when we met up with it. But either way, I mean, more Pike stuff, especially Pike from from Discovery, I think is going to be a good thing. But uh, July 30th. So we we have until then to talk about the other two books that have come right. out. Uh, so something something to look forward to. Yeah, it's it's well, it's interesting. Also, um, what they're saying about what's happening. I wonder if we'll see some of the aftermath of what transpired in the book mm-hmm. during season two. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Time will tell. We'll find out hopefully uh, this coming summer, but it's nice to have something else to look forward to on the on the front of Star Trek when related to the Enterprise. Uh, something else that we've kind of talked about before, just kind of a brief news item. Uh, listener Rob O'Connor brought this to our attention and then it was picked up by Trek Movie. Uh, Netflix internationally has finally added the short treks. So it looks like for some reason they were waiting until they were all finished before they got added. But for those of you in uh, the territories where Netflix is the primary outlet to watch discovery, you now can catch up with the rest of us and check out those short treks. And I hope you like them. It was a little, little, (laughs) it was, it was, it was a little, uh, hard for you, hard for you all. Yeah. 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 A little, little, (laughs) little bit. So, so now you can finally do that. Which is right. good. Um, you will be purring. 
<laughs> oh man. Yes. Very true. Uh, well, another piece of news that we didn't talk about yesterday that, um, is just so typical of Paramount and so typical of people who just don't, it's, it's typical of the outlets that own Star Trek. Uh, there's been rumors, rumblings that, um, director SJ Clarkson has accepted another job, which has effectively put the fourth Kelvin timeline Star Trek film on hold. Uh, uh, people have been saying the Kelvin timeline is canceled. I can't find any evidence of that actually being the case. Uh, but kind of disappointing, uh, especially coming off of a movie that was generally solid, if not, uh, commercially on, not unsuccessful, but mildly successful on Star Trek beyond. But, um, John Cho, who plays, uh, Lieutenant Hikaru Sulu in the Kelvin timeline films, uh, entertainment tonight caught up with him at the Los Angeles online film critics society awards. And he said, quote, to be honest, it's not happening right now as far as I know, but I just think it'll happen. Somebody at some point will all get on the same page and we will do it. That's my belief. Maybe I'm being optimistic. It's just a significant part of American popular culture. I don't see how it goes away forever. Cicero, what do you think about the uh, the questionable future of the Kelvin timeline as it currently stands right now? Well, it's, I mean, the easy answer is this is sad. This is sad news. Yeah. Um, because it sounds like from what John Cho's saying that it's not, it's not happening in the foreseeable future. Um, and really no one knows when it's going to happen. It's just a belief that it will. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that's kind of not enough. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's what we're going to have to deal with because that's where we are, you know, and, uh, that's, that's kind of disappointing, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to, uh, put, put a film together. Um, let's hope. And, and I, I think because of the fact that it's, it's kind of the director walked away, uh, let's let's hope that there is a the, an actual script together and ready to go for a film. And if there isn't, then then you know we may see the Tarantino Star Wars, uh, Star Trek film before <laughs> yeah. before we see the next Kelvin verse one. Oh, so, good lord! Yeah, yeah. so it's going to be what twenty years? Uh, who We're knows? not seeing either of those films. <laughs> right. What do you think, Rach? I mean, I mean, it sounds like it. It's kind of the Kelvin timeline might be a little bit dead for now for now yeah it could always come back but well i mean, I mean when he says like it, something this big can't just go away i think it's come back on tv in a really big way and yeah. they're really investing it investing in it mm -hmm. on um on tv yeah so it's certainly not gone mm -hmm. but you know in this world of blockbusters and too big to fail movies everything's got to be a mega hit or it doesn't make them any money. Yeah. We, we've talked about that before that maybe, and, and Zaki has even mentioned as much that it's possible they've been pumping too many resources into Star Trek movies with the expectation that they'll do similar kinds of numbers to other big franchise hits like a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. And Star Trek has just never carried those kinds of numbers. 
the closest that it got was probably in 2009, but that was generally an outlier in the entire yeah. history. I mean, the thing that I am thinking about right now is that at least in the direction of the movies or, or where the movies specifically are concerned, we're kind of aimless in a way that the Star Trek franchise has not been since 2003, right after Nemesis hit theaters. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, we had no idea what form an, an 11th Star Trek movie was going to take. Uh, things are obviously different now because, you know, the franchise is, as Rachel just said, roaring back to television in a pretty big way via a streaming service or streaming services when taken internationally. And that was not the case in the early 2000s when the franchise was on the verge of petering out the last time. But since the the late 80s, Star Trek has never just existed on television. You know, like, like it's always been in a movie theater. Movies were arguably the lifeline of Star Trek, especially through the Kelvin timeline uh, when we didn't have anything on television to look forward to. And now that situation has reversed itself, which is uh, it, it's it's quite a moment in Star Trek franchise history. I'll be interested to see how the franchise uh, recovers when it comes to the big screen exploitations. But it's hard to complain when we have so much television to look forward to. Uh, so but I'm, I mean, I'll television f- is the new movies, Chris. So, well, well, yeah. And, you know, and it's. The, it's funny though, um, and we as we sit here and we kind of lament the the maybe you know presumptive demise of the cinematic universe mm-hmm. for for Star Trek that uh, you know we forget that Star Trek is unique in in its in this way that it was a television series that became a film franchise. Yes, I and I don't really know of any other pop culture you know piece of content that is that has been able to make that transition yeah. in that way yeah that's true the um, the other possible examples that you might bring up are not active film series anymore or maybe they produced one or two movies before petering out yeah. whereas star trek has made 13 so right right the only the only other one that even is remotely close is mission impossible yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. So, but like, I mean, you know, the the funny thing about Mission Impossible is that uh, Mission Impossible the movies have only shared the name with with the series that that bore it, you know, that bore it basically. Yeah. Um. It you know it's kind of taken a life of its own, whereas the Star Trek films and television shows, um, generally are consistent with each other in, in some way, shape or form. They have, they have lots of connective tissue. Um, it's, it, I wonder if, if Paramount will sit back and say, well, you know, yes, we, we would love for it to be a film franchise, but you know, we don't, we can't, we're not in the space now to spend $200 million on, on, a Star Trek film because we don't, you know, because it's only going to make us four hundred and fifty million, right? Yeah, and and, and, and Paramount. Right. I mean, there's a lot of corporate turmoil behind the scenes right now when it comes to the question right. of whether or not Paramount and CBS are going to merge again 
And those right. issues have only been exacerbated ever since it was discovered how much of a scumbag Les Moonves was, uh, right. or at least widely publicly disseminated how much of a scumbag Les Moonves was. But um, right. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of balls up in the air, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we'll see the future of the Star Trek franchise on film again in the next five years. But uh, question question to you, Chris, before we move on to the next thing, I'm derailing things. No, 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 no. Welcome no. back. What's up? Um, what do you think if the film franchise comes back, does it come back with the same cast? Oh, that's tough. That's a, you know, that, that's a time question, right? You know what I'm almost tempted to, to think, and I, there's, there's certainly no guarantee that they would do this. Um, but the movies obviously have a bias towards the more popularly longstanding crews of the franchise. Right. And, um, we have a brand new Spock in the form of uh, of Ethan Peck. And the 23rd century is back in a degree of prominence. And we also have a, a series of new 23rd century characters. There's wiggle room in the prime timeline to finish Kirk's original five-year mission. And... Uh, you know whether or not the the creative teams behind the franchise would ever want to consider doing something like that. I don't know. I mean, you have the animated series, but there's no guarantee uh, concerning where those episodes exactly take place. I mean, I think they're assigned years, but there's not that many episodes of the animated series, all things considered. Right. And if they wanted to recast the TOS crew and tell stories to finish out Kirk's original five-year mission between the end of TOS and the beginning of the motion picture, then that might be something that they could do. Hmm. Um, honestly, I don't see them doing that. That's a very inside baseball kind of a thing to do with Star Trek. Uh, but when it comes to growing the franchise, I think anything is possible. So time will tell, as in... All things, right? But um, <laughs> yeah, well, um, one last thing, uh, to, just to get your perspective on Cicero, the the uh, Section 31 Giorgio show is confirmed. A, yes. um, a producer recently went on record saying that Star Trek's optimism will not be abandoned by the show. Uh, on Twitter was Bojan Kim who said, we are not aiming to derail Star Trek's optimism. We will never lose sight of what Star Trek represents. That's what she said. Okay. So right. what do you think of uh, seeing Giorgio Section 31 in a fully dedicated series on CBS All Access? I love what they can do with that. I, I mean, I love um, – I'm of two minds, right? So um, I love the fact that it's coming because of who is in the cast, because of the production value and and the the writing chops behind uh, everything that happened in, in uh, season one of Discovery. Mm -hmm. And I I you know I love it from this aspect. Now they've you know they talked about the hope and the optimism, and obviously that that does need to stay because that's that's uh, fundamental to the universe, fundamental to to uh, the UFP and and the Federation in in general, but I would love to 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 see them kind of Marvel Universe these shows 
that they have on on uh, on the service. Where and and by that I mean uh, when you watch certain certain movies that you see in the MCU, you know the tone that you're going to get from those films. Um, so you know that like the Captain America films are going to be kind of actiony, espionagey. You know that the Ant Man films are going to be uh, a little comic book, uh, you know, comedy heist films. Mm-hmm. You know that the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy are going to be your Star Wars analog films, uh, you know, ensemble Star Wars films in in the, in the MCU. Uh, I would love to see that in the Star Trek universe, where this show is is a little bit darker, is a little bit you know, uh, a little bit more noir, um, while still keeping the optimism, but but uh, you know, giving it its own distinct tonal flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would love to see that the the other shows pick up on that and do kind of the same thing. Um, so so from one perspective, that's that's my hope. That's my optimism. Mm-hmm. The pessimism is I worry about them saturating their own market and and making it implode under its own weight. Sure. Um, by continuing to drop more and more shows. Or and and maybe not even drop the shows, but just keep announcing shows. Um, that is something that I think uh, when you look at cinematic universes, I think Star Wars is starting to suffer from that right mm-hmm. now. Um, where where they they were were doing these you know one a year type of thing, and then they came in and did Solo, and and people rejected it not because it was not necessarily because it wasn't good, but because like there was there was too much and and you know it's like all right enough 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 you know give me some time to breathe and give me some time to to digest all the the star wars that you've already given mm-hmm. me so you know i just i i hope that they don't they don't try to milk the cow before it's you know made some more well milk. i mean we could have an entire discussion concerning uh what went wrong i guess with with solo's release Rachel and I have had sure. a lot of discussions about that, uh, <laughs> but I mean the point's taken. Just, uh, we we certainly don't want people to be burned out on Star Trek, but at the same time, too, you know the we're always talking about ways that we want to maximize the value of CBS All Access. It's something that you talk about quite a bit, Rach, and uh, I'm certainly not going to complain that it's because that it's through Star Trek that we're getting that value. Yeah, but, we got to start watching sure. all of NCIS. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But as long as the shows are good, you know, I mean, that's always the uh, that's always the the primary sticking point. Obviously, that's a subjective standard, but um, so far, so good. Let's put it that way. But we'll also find out later later tonight when we actually do get to watch season two, uh, the premiere of Discovery. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's when we're recording this. But we do have uh, one final short trek to talk about before we all dismissed to absorb that first episode. So let's move along to talking about Short Treks, episode four, The Escape Artist. So just a uh, quick synopsis. It's not going to be very long just because, well, the episode's not that long. A Tellarite bounty hunter, Tevrin Crit, purchases prisoner Harcourt Fenton Mud from a female bounty hunter before she beams away and departs. Mud pleads his innocence, only to have Crit bring up the United Federation of Planets charges against him, 
and reward for his capture. Mudd continues to plead for his freedom, recalling a variety of similar instances he has found himself in with Klingons, Orions, and other aliens. Mudd's plea is unsuccessful. Crit approaches the Federation starship USS DeMilo and requests to have the two beamed aboard. So I'm going to cut it right there, just because you know all of it leads up to the to the finale of this this short, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, Cicero, your perspectives on Harry Mudd and what we've learned from him and this episode overall. Um, I would love to see a threes company style, uh, multi-camera sitcom starring Harry Mudd and all of his, all of his, uh, exploits and, uh, no good shenanigans because they're, they're delightful, um, you know, and they were they were delightful when he was introduced. They were delightful in in the episode where he just kept re- replaying time, um, and they were delightful again here. Uh, and uh, this was probably my favorite short trek um, because it did all of the things that I wanted it, you know, that I w- would would have wanted a short trek to do. Um, give you more about this character that you didn't know a lot about. Um, give you some tidbits and some insight into into their character and how their how their character is formed, and also give you some things to think about going further into into the next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said, Rach. This one. Um, so, in the last discussion that you and I had, you alluded to the idea of each short getting better. Does that hold true here? And what are your thoughts on the escape artist? I felt like this one was the best one yet, but right. I keep saying that about every one. But this <laughs> one was, it was just wildly entertaining. Yeah. You know, it's a joy to watch Harry Mudd on screen. And the twist at the end was delightful mm-hmm. and funny. Um, I would be careful about suggesting ideas for sitcoms because CBS will do it. <laughs> And you might regret that, Cicero. Right. Um, I I would only regret it because I didn't get created by Craig. Yeah. Yeah. So those are royalty checks. um, Copyright Cicero. (laughs) There we go. I think that's legally binding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Clearly. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So it was just fun. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Really... Harry Mudd as a character on the surface doesn't look like he's someone you would necessarily be able to stretch out a whole different slathering of stories with, but the depiction of him by Rain Wilson on Discovery has been really surprising in that regard. I mean, not that I wasn't expecting a lot from seeing Harry Mudd again, and as a big TOS fan, you know, I was very interested in seeing what they would do with him, but... uh I'm 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 very surprised at how effectively the creative team behind Discovery is able to leverage him as an endlessly interesting and fun to watch guy. Uh Rain Wilson's portrayal is key to that. He brings a great deal of uh of energy and and reverent energy, I think, to who Harry Mudd is. It's it's a lot I I've I've heard some of the more embedded uh among Star Trek fans say that it's some sort of rash departure from who Harry Mudd was in the original series. I don't agree with that. 
uh, it's uh, whatever with that. Well, yeah, sure, but I mean, it, it feels like that's just serving as the foundation for what's being added here, and the sensibilities that come with um, with modern TV demand more from from your villains than you had seen before. Not that Mud was necessarily a huge thorn in the side of the Enterprise and of Captain Kirk, but he was a memorable antagonist for a reason, and I think Discovery is pushing that forward. Uh, for a story that is entirely oriented around uh, Mud's wiliness, this was really fun to watch. Uh, it was funny in a lot of interesting places, like uh, particularly when uh, Tevrin Crete was reading the charges against Harry Mud that the Federation had laid upon him and calling back to episodes of Discovery. Uh, I, I, I immensely enjoyed this one and I hope that, uh, we at least get one appearance, maybe more from Harry Mudd this season, but who knows? But, uh, well, uh, the, so the twist we, uh, which I didn't, uh, talk about in the synopsis yet, but it's revealed that this mud is one of many androids that the actual mud having been in disguise as the female bounty hunter has sold to various bounty hunters making a tidy profit on uh, to boot back on a ship. The real mud prepares to sell another Android continuing this scheme uh, sets up a great deal of possibility. Rachel, what was your reaction to that? That twist there at the end? Uh, I think I laughed a lot. I think it was really funny. <laughs> and I really enjoyed rain Wilson in the sort of like female bounty hunter outfit, outfit yeah. with like the exaggerated like metal boot. <laughs> i thought that was a, a really funny um a really funny thing and i liked him sipping jippers yeah or whatever a jipper if i is. had any money i'd be sipping jippers on a beach somewhere yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this whole thing was really well executed and and set up yeah, yeah. excellent cicero yes um it was awesome um you know the this the that was kind of what i was alluding to this whole the the fact that like we won't we may never know if the harry mud that we meet on you know that we met on the discovery the harry mud that was on the enterprise and tos we never know the one that was on the animated series was it a, an android was it the actual harry you know, Harry Mudd will never know. And, and that's awesome. Yeah. Like, like, oh man, you know, Harry Mudd, he's, he's got us all. We're, we're just living in his universe. Man. You know, and that was uh, uh rain Wilson actually was in an interview with sci-fi where he spoke exactly to that about whether or not the audience had ever seen the real mud. And obviously this is just rain Wilson's own perspective. We don't know for sure, but he sure. said, I think we've been seeing the real Harry Mudd throughout. We certainly see him at the end of this episode, but I think it would be fun to have future episodes where you don't know if you're seeing Mud or a duplicate Mud running around the universe. That would be really interesting. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. There's there's nothing to unless something else comes along uh, that actually confirms that that's the real guy. Then we don't know for sure. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe one of the the mud androids pulls a Moriarty and goes sentient and decides to right. pursue his own criminal aims. And that's the guy that we meet in the original series, but uh, there's really no way to know. And it, it is part of the fun. Uh, and it's just, it's in character, you know, 
it's you know i got the kind of the impression that the androids were sort of flimsily made right like you could just pull their limbs off right well tellurites are pretty strong they're discount which is also kind of like they just need to last long enough that's kind of on brand people so yeah well and there was uh one of the jackets that one of the android muds was wearing in uh at the end of this episode matched a jacket that was worn in i mud by 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 the the original harry mud and uh, if you go to the the page for the escape artist on Memory Alpha, they picked out a screenshot from iMud where Kirk has him up against the wall and he's choking him and he's wearing that jacket, very distinctive, and uh, and is is just it shows that there is a reverence there for the original material, which I always appreciate. Uh, but right. yeah, but yeah, was, I mean, it, it was just fun. Whether if I had to pick a best of the shorts, so Rachel says it's this one. I don't, I don't know. Cicero, what do you think is the best one out of the four? So, man, it, it really depends on the criteria. So if your criteria is the one that I set forth when we were talking about the original one, um, which was insight into characters and some tidbits that I can take with me into season two um, – that may help to inform how I judge the characters and maybe even the, the series as a whole, then I think that uh, th- this one, the escape artist is, is the best one um, from, from a, uh, from the perspective of what made me feel um, it would either be this one or Calypso. Okay. Yeah. Because I I felt lots of joy and whimsy in this episode and uh there was there was melancholy joy and and some whimsy in Calypso. sure yeah i think that's very understandable yeah i mean i'm not sure what my criteria is necessarily for the best of the shorts but i'm i think i'm leaning towards the brightest star the episode with saru mm. uh just because it was the one that was probably the most clearly and definitively connected to discovery as a whole, since it was one of the principal characters. Uh, sure. And we got to see prime Giorgio again, which I hope we get to see more of her at some point somehow. Uh, not that I don't like mirror Giorgio. I do, but prime Giorgio is just such a cool character and uh, fits that Starfleet captain mold. So effectively, even when she's not being a captain, as we saw in that last episode, but uh Right. This one was definitely the most fun and you can't take anything away from that. I, I had a, an immensely fun time watching uh, Rain Wilson get to play Harry Mudd again. He's a good director too. He directed this episode yeah. and um, I think it showed a lot of like, if you had to try and say, watch the purest Harry Mudd thing you possibly can, it would be this episode. I mean, the, the, the yes. ep- it, it has such a unique sense of identity that is so closely associated with the character as we now know him that uh, I don't know how someone could watch this and not have fun unless they were, you know, still poking at the Klingons don't look right or uh, or you know, the Tellarite's hair is too long or something like that. You know, some of these superficial details. And uh, it was just great. We got to see Orion's again, too, which is always yeah. cool. So uh, I think there was plenty here for for all kinds of Star Trek fans. 
Yeah. Well, for, at least for the ones that want to well, show yeah, up. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, that's always going to be the thing. And But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how season two lands with uh, with people. And particularly as things start ramping up towards the premiere of Picard. I, a lot of those holdouts, I, I kind of think, are going to have to at least take another look at their 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 status as holdouts. But hey, who knows? Maybe I'm being optimistic when it comes to that. Yeah. That's okay. Come back under the umbrella, guys. It's fun. Don't <laughs> don't don't stay on the sidelines anymore. It's 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 great to have Star Trek back, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what's coming down the pike. Well, you know, I think that's pretty much all we can say. I can't think of anything else that that uh, demands a whole lot of discussion when it comes to this. Cicero, you got any final thoughts on the escape artist before we dismiss here? No, uh, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad it's over. I'm glad season two is about to begin. Very, very soon. Yeah. Rachel, final thoughts before we uh, we boldly go again. I echo those sentiments. All right. I'm excited for real episodes. Well, we we don't have much longer to wait. Well, uh, so just to give you guys an idea of what things are going to look like in the, in the near future, we still have to hash out exactly when all four of us are going to be getting together, marking the return of Zaki to the panel to actually inaugurate season two of Star Trek discovery for discovery debrief our show. Uh, But it will, it will follow I would imagine at least before the airing of the second episode. So keep a lookout on your podcast feeds. We're really excited to be able to bring new regular discussions to you related to this series that I think we've all been looking forward to uh, for a long time, ever since you know the first season ended, obviously. So thank you for coming on the ride with us again. We look forward to bringing a whole new season of discussions to you. But as for right now, That is going to do it for episode 32 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles, and feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us directly at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes as we prepare to discuss season two, finally. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Mm-hmm.